great to be here and great to sense the Lord's presence right from the beginning, isn't it? I just really believe that God wants to do a real work with us this weekend with all of us. And our prayer is that no one will leave this weekend uh, feeling that they haven't had an encounter with God because that's why we're here. And I believe that when God encounters us, he always does something that changes us. And change has been a big theme uh, on my heart for this weekend, we talked already, Joy referred to the change and the comfort, because I believe God wants to comfort hearts this, this weekend, but also the challenge, the challenge of are we going to go for the change? That's the challenge. We can leave here challenged, but not actually changed. So we're really praying that you'll move from the challenged place into the changed place where God will empower you. I, I read this um, a guy called Warren Wearsby, who's uh, he and his son have written a lot of books and stuff. And here's what he said: Nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that things can never change. We need to remind ourselves that God can change things. Outlook determines outcome. If we see only the problems, we will be so defeated. But if we see the possibilities in the problems we can have victory through Christ. And so we're believing that we're going to have our outlook, our thinking, our mindsets changed because that's where it starts. The problem is in the way we think. And we talked about that last night. And uh, this morning we're going to look at another wonderful lady. Her name is Rahab. For those who weren't here, you might see over on the on the, on the sheet. I meant to pull this over, but it's okay there. You might see that Tamar is up there at the top with uh, Judah beside her and the red cord hanging down to show you Perez, the son that was born to her, one of her twins. And Perez means breakthrough. And last night we spoke about breakthrough. And we spoke about how uh, God can give us breakthrough whenever we trust him and trust that his Holy Spirit is in us that we can operate out of the new nature, not the old nature, but the new one. And that when we operate in that new Holy Spirit nature that's implanted into us at the moment of salvation, when we trust and obey, when we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us, that the new nature that's in us can actually break through any situation. That there's no situation that's too difficult. And we we actually, last night, we talked about that and about how God wants to do a a work of breakthrough. And we've spoken about how the title for this weekend is For Such a Time as This. And we said last night that although that's a quote taken out of the story of Esther, we're not actually going to be talking about Esther at all. We're talking about four other women. But it's the the same principle for Esther. It's the same for these women we're talking about this weekend. And it's the same for us that we need to hear God and experience God for such a time as this. And that's why we believe that this weekend is strategic in our lives. We believe it's going to, going to set us up for the next part of our journey. And we're believing that if by faith we can, we can lay hold of this, that God is going to move us forward. And so we're going to look, last night it was about destiny for Tamar and how she had experienced two marriages, both were bad, how out of, uh, out of, fear and abuse, uh, how she actually experienced a breakthrough in her life. And you know, if we're going to be women that are living to our potential for such a time as this, we need to experience breakthrough. Would you agree with me? 
And this morning we're going to look at Rahab and we're going to see that Rahab is another one of these amazing ladies. And we're going to see that she also needed breakthrough, but she needed something else. We're going to look at that shortly. So I'm going to read the story to you. I'm going to read it in uh, the New Living Translation. And again, we might stop here and there just through the story and we'll just see how God leads us. But um, we're going to trust that, uh, that God is going to speak to our hearts. So the background to this story is that the Israelites had come out of Egypt. You'll all probably know that, how God brought them out of Egypt and how uh, they had reached the, the big, just the edge of the promised land and they were about to cross over into the promised land. So let's just read from chapter 2 of Joshua. It says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp. He instructed them to scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. So we'll just stop there for a moment. Get the picture, uh, the city of Jericho, Jericho still exists today in Israel and Jericho, there was a great wall around Jericho which the archaeology, I say archaeology, I can't get that word out, archaeology, yes. <laughs> uh, there have been lots of uh, uh, work done around Jericho and they reckon that the, po- that the walls were possibly six foot thick and that they were up to 26 foot high. They found evidence that people actually dwelled in the walls or on the walls, had their homes there. And they, they, um, yeah, well, I'll tell you more about the the, the city as we go on. So uh, you get this picture that Israel has been led by God. They've come through the wilderness. They've taken a lot of going around for 40 years. They've wasted time, as many of us have done. But they've come to the edge of God's promises, like another opportunity, like, like this weekend. And God said, getting you ready to cross over. So they knew they had to cross over the River Jordan and then they had to proceed to Jericho. But Jericho, the Bible says, was shut up because it had this wall around it. And this, uh, this lady who was a prostitute, Rahab, was living, we're told, uh, actually on the wall. We'll read that in a moment. Now, I wanted to tell you just a little bit about, about Rahab. Not that we know that much about her in one sense, but uh, we know she was a prostitute. So when I hear that word prostitute, uh, I, you know, a lot of people in the world would immediately, you know, begin to be very judgmental about that word. But you know the word, the four-letter word that comes to my mind? whenever I think of prostitution. Pain. So I see a woman here who had somehow got ensnared into prostitution. In that culture, she may well have been sold off as a young girl, as many are in countries like India, as a shrine prostitute. We have people in our church who are doing an amazing work out there to try and help and rescue these wee girls that are sold by their family to be a shrine prostitute where anybody can just use them and abuse them. So that may have been her experience. Or as we go through the story, we'll see that the king of Jericho had a, you know, he, he contacted her about these spies. We'll read it in a moment. So she may even have been given by her parents over to the king. We don't know, but she was used and abused. And somehow or other, Rahab had found that that was her only means of existence. And she had become this prostitute. And she obviously was a woman who had had, had to live on her wits and and probably was quite street wise uh, because as we see she was she had her own house so we're going to going to read on in the story 
It says, um, so the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Now Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied to the king of Jericho, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch them up. Actually, Rahab had taken the spies up to the roof of her house and had hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left the gate of the gate, as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. She said, I know the Lord has given you the, this land. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did in Shihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. Listen what your, what Rahab said. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So Rahab was a woman who had somehow got into the oldest trade in the world into prostitution but she was wise enough uh, to understand that this God who had brought the Israelites uh, from Egypt and had brought them over through the Red Sea and opened up the sea for them she was wise enough to know that this was the real deal that they had a God who was greater than anything that she experienced and so I see Rahab as a woman who was living a life uh, I would believe a life where she had suffered a lot from the hands of men and I would say a life where where she really had very little peace. I think that's an important word for this weekend. I believe that God wants to give us peace because so often, even whenever we become Christians, we're lacking peace. And this woman, I believe, was desperate to find peace and to get away from this cycle of prostitution and this way of living that she was in and she had heard about the God of Israel and she she was open and upfront to these spies to tell them that she knew that their God was the true God and then she went on to say in verse 12 now said Rahab swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered that you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. This tells me a little bit more about Rahab. It tells me that while she had been a prostitute and had no children of her own, it tells me that her family had married and had children. And so she had seen her family flourish and had seen them having their babies whilst uh, while she was left uh, on her own living in this house. You know, I believe that Psalm 19 is an amazing psalm in relation to the story. 
because although she had never heard, uh, she didn't know God's law, and although she'd never heard the history of the Israelites, she didn't really know all about them. The Bible tells me in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies display his craftsmanship. They speak without sound or word, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Isn't that amazing? Even though she hadn't heard of God's law, even though she didn't know about much about the God of Israel apart from a couple of snippets of, of information that he had done miracles for his people. The Bible says that even in the darkest place on the earth, without being taught from the Bible, that the very heavens declare that there's a God. Mm-hmm. That, that, that the world and the creation declare that there's one the creator behind it all. And in fact, uh, Romans 1 verse 20 says that through everything that God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. And so she had, she'd seen the sun coming up, she'd seen creation, she'd seen, looked at the moon and the stars at night. She realised there was somebody greater out there, even though she didn't know him. And even though she hadn't heard or been taught from, from God's word, she didn't have the law of God in her heart. Now, I, I, happen, I happen to love Psalm 19. It's one of my favourite psalms. I just love it because sometimes when we think of God's law, we think of God's law as being something that, um, you know, is prohibitive, something that is always, you can't do this and you can't do that. But God's law is wonderful. And I want to read a couple of things that God's law does. It says in chapter 7 of Psalm 19, that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, or the, the real word there is restoring the soul. So God's law, his principles, his word is about restoring us. It's not about taking from us. It's about giving back to us. Because you know what? God is a good God. He is always a good God. And he wants to restore into your life what the enemy would steal from you. It says that the law of the God, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Even simple people can become wise, wiser than some of the the most academic people in the world because they receive the word of the Lord into their hearts. The statutes or the laws of the Lord, verse 8 says, that they are right, rejoicing the heart. So God's law is to give us joy in our heart, to restore unto us the joy that the enemy would take from us. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then the psalmist says that the law of God and his truth is more to be desired than gold. Yes, even more than fine gold. And it's sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, by the law and the word of the Lord, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. You know, recently it's really struck me how when God loves us, he warns us. Because, you know, if you saw a, a, a blind person walking towards a precipice and you cared about them at all, you would go and grab them and pull them back. And God's warnings to us are a blessing. And so this woman, Rahab, had grown up. She'd seen the sunset. She'd seen, she'd seen the, the moon and the stars at night. She'd seen signs of, 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 the, of the true God. But she didn't know his law and she didn't know that his law was really meant to be a blessing to her. Now, as some of you might know, 
we're just back from Fortaventura. Uh, I don't want to rub it in, but uh, <laughs> we had a few, we had twelve lovely days there. And about the second night that I was uh, that I was there, but staying there, I was in bed the second night, I think second or third night. And just before I was going to sleep, in my spirit, I was just asking the Lord about Rahab, and I was saying, Lord, what is it that you want to say about Rahab? What is the thing that you want to say about Rahab? And I just went to sleep with that prayer on my lips. And it seemed a very short time later that, did you ever just jump up, waking up out of a sleep? And it seemed like I'd only been maybe sleeping an hour. I had no idea how long it was. But I, I felt myself jolted up, and I knew that I had been dreaming. Now, God speaks to me a lot in dreams. And this was a dream that I have had over and over and over again. Has anybody ever had a recurring dream? A dream that keeps coming back. Well, this dream uh, has, has been with me for a very, very long time. And I've, I have, in the dream, I am standing uh, and I'm in a house that I lived in when I was between the ages of about, I think we moved there when I was 10 or 11, up until uh, mid-teens. And uh, it was in, well, whilst I was living in that house that my mother was killed in a car accident and my grandmother also died around the same, within a couple of days, within this, actually the same day as my mother uh, was, had the accident. And I'm standing, at the, in that house there were three doors. There was a back door, a side door and a front door. And in the dream, uh, I, again, just recurring all the time, same thing. I am standing at the back door first of all and I am like really concerned and anxious and worried because this door isn't locked. And I have such a sense of that, would somebody please get a proper lock on that door because anybody could come in here. And then in the dream, I'll go to the front door of the house and I can still see that door is playing. And, and I'm standing at the front door and I'm again in my sleep. I'm saying, this door is not locked. Anybody can come in here. Would somebody, I have to get my father to make sure that there's a key and a lock and put something to close this door. And then I'll go to the side door. And it's quite a distressing dream. And every time I wake up, I'm thinking, what's that about? So in Fortaventura, I woke up and I thought, Lord, there's that dream again. And I thought, Lord, how come that I always dream that dream about that house that I lived in at that time in my life? And just like that in my spirit, I felt like God said to me, because at that time in your life, the enemy had taken down the boundaries of your life. And the enemy was able to just roll in over you. And so the doors represented the, sorry, represented the fact that I was vulnerable, that I was lacking boundaries. And it was just in that moment of realization that I felt the Lord say, and that was, that was Rahab's situation. She was living in the wall or on the wall. I'm not quite sure how that house was built on the wall. But it seems that this woman, I really felt like God said to me, that was Rahab's main problem. She was vulnerable. She had no, she had no walls. And it struck me that the law of the Lord is a wall of protection around us. You know, uh, Philippines 4 tells us that if we're anxious that we should we should talk to God about it. If we're, if we're, um, I just want to read it to you because I, I love this verse and I think it's a, really an important <coughs> one because God's been bringing it to my mind a lot uh, over the last couple of days in particular. It says in Philippines 4, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
Well, guard, or the proper word is garrison. It's like a garrison right around you. It's like a wall right around you. Will garrison your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to talk about, you know, whatever is good to think about these things, whatever is just, whatever is holy, whatever is pure, lovely, all of those things, whatever is of good report. So I really felt when I was preparing for this that God wants us to know that there are good walls and bad walls. Good boundaries and bad boundaries. Um, you see, God wants to protect us. And when God puts, a, I want to say that the word boundary or wall or hedge or border, they're all exactly the same thing. So if I say one or the other, you know what I'm saying. They're all the same. And God wants, he talked about, he put a hedge around Job. God can put a hedge around your life or a boundary or a border or a wall, whatever you want to call it. But when God does that, it's to protect you. That with, And I believe his law, his word is part of that. And his peace, when we rule our anxieties, he wants to give us a wall of peace that we can know that we're safe and that the enemy can't just run through and attack us. Now, during that time in my life, I was, I suppose my mother died just before my 13th birthday. So, and my granny left us shortly after that. And then my father remarried. A lot of change, a lot of turmoil. And, and you know, my father trying to rear us up uh, you know, the way my, my second mum, my stepmom had another wee baby and he was trying to take care of everybody and cope with a new marriage. And, and, and very much during those years, there was a lot of stuff that happened in my life that was very painful. And because I was a quiet child, I, was, I, actually, I actually was very shy when I was younger. Isn't that right, Sally? <laughs> I was a shy wee girl. And I found it very difficult to talk. I, you wouldn't believe that now, would you? <laughs> I found it, and you know, I never really expressed the stuff that was going on in my heart. And I think there's some of you and the stuff locked in there that you have never actually brought into the light. And there's many of you that have been, had a, a bad wall around you, a, a wall that Satan's put up where he can actually roll over the top of it. Because Satan, when he puts something around you, it's to keep you in, but he can roll over the top of it because he erected it and he knows how to get at you. And you know, when Satan puts a wall around you, let me tell you, he means it to limit you. He means it to hurt you. He means it to trap you. And so his walls are for evil. But God wants to put and garrison your heart and he wants to put a hedge about you to protect you. And we're going to, as we go on through the story, we'll, we'll go further on that. So let's read on with the story. So she asked these spies, she said, now will you swear to me that you'll be kind to me and my family and will you give me a guarantee that whenever Jericho is conquered that you will let me live along with my family? Verse 14. Here's what the spies said. Do you know, girls, I believe that God sent these spies. I actually have come to the conclusion it was more about Rahab than actually spotting out the land. Because I don't actually think they needed to spy out the land, really. But God wanted to connect these men with this woman. Isn't it amazing that God had heard the cries of Rahab? When she had heard about this God, this woman was longing for something more. She was tired of this old way of life. She was longing for something more. And I actually believe that God sent these spies just for her. Isn't it amazing that God would do that uh, for someone like Rahab? And he'll do it for someone like us as well. And so here's what the two spies said to her. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. 
If you don't betray us, we'll keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then Rahab's house uh, was built into the town wall and she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men that are searching from you. And then when, when, whenever those men have returned, you can go on your way. Now listen to this. Before the spies left, they told Rahab, we will be bound by the oath that we have taken. Only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. Round to verse 21. Rahab said, I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. Oh, I love this story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an amazing story, isn't it? See, she was hungry for the God of Israel. She, she was desperate for peace. And she was crying out to these men, "Will can you give me your word that I'll be safe and my family will be safe? And they said, yes, we will, we will actually offer our own lives as a guarantee. Isn't that what the Saviour did for us? He offered up himself as a sacrifice for us to give us a guarantee of our salvation and of the future that God has for us with him. And so these two spies are actually entering into a covenant agreement with Rahab. It's as strong as that. It's a covenant agreement. The same, God makes a covenant with us at salvation that he never leave us or forsake us. It's a covenant. And these spies were saying, yes, we'll enter into a covenant with you, but you've just got to do one thing. You've got to let that scarlet rope hang down because otherwise, how would they know where her house was whenever they're coming in in the middle of war? Now, last night we talked about how whenever Tamar's twins were born, that the first one stuck his hand out. Do you remember? And we said that the midwives tied the scarlet thread around to identify which was the firstborn. And then the second one came out and it was called Perez because it broke through. And we talked about us having two natures. The old nature that goes the wrong way and has a, has a scarlet thread on it. And we talked about knowing that we are sinful beings and that you know the, the scarlet thread speaks of a sinful nature. But the red also speaks of redemption. And how we tied this on last night because we wanted to remind ourselves, yes, we need to know. You know, it's so important. The Bible says that if we would judge ourselves, we'll not be judged. And I've been really challenged about that, about judging my own self. That if I was more aware, and and I shared last night some of the besetting things that troubled me, things like pride and jealousy and judging other people and kind of, you know, false comforts and all taking the easy way. Those are the things that I know that I need to judge myself on. I need to, when I see those things in myself, I need to know that. But I also need to know that that nature has been redeemed and that I can live in the new nature and I can experience breakthrough and so can you. But it's a choice. And we need to know that God is for us. And he's, he's not against us. He's for us. And, and, and I just feel it's so important that, that we, we get a grasp of this. That the red is for redemption. You've been bought with a price. Redemption means to buy you back. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sins. He paid for your sins. He paid the legal price for sin so that God could be just. That, he could, that God could still be righteous and take sinners into heaven. Because, because the price has been paid. 
And so you are bought with your own. And you know, I just loved it last night because we've, we've, I know Laura's just gone out there with a the wee baby. But that wee baby, actually, the, day, the date that that child was meant to be born was today. And it's seven weeks old. So it's still a wee titchy wee thing. And last night, when I looked over at Laura, she tied the scarlet thread around the baby. And I just thought, a mark of redemption over that child. And you know, I, this, look. <laughs> tie it on cut yourself a bit and put it round your arm and remind yourself that you're bought with a price you don't belong to yourself you're bought with a price and God loves you and he's plans for you and really it's not your right to go and live any old way because you're bought you belong to him bought with a, a great price and so that's why we hung this the, the, the scarlet thread down there because from Tamar and Judah came Paris and now we're telling you this story. And what do we see again? <coughs> the scarlet rope or the scarlet thread. And they were to leave it hanging over. It was to identify where she was. It speaks of promise. It speaks of the oath and the covenant promise that these spies had made. That whenever they would come into Jericho, whenever God was giving them the city, that they would remember their promise and their oath and that she and her family would be safe. And all she had to do was hang that out. Isn't that an amazing picture? of how we are safe when we are covering ourselves in the blood of Jesus. And you know, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as you. He sees you behind the blood. You're marked. You're safe. You're marked. because this is. And I love this scarlet line. I love the whole picture of it. And so this is the way they left her. And then it says she accepted those terms and off they went. And then, of course, um, then, of course, uh, they were getting ready to uh, cross into the land. So the spies go back to Joshua. This is the story. And they tell Joshua, oh, the city, God's already won the battle for us. Everybody has heard about us and they're all afraid. And, and so Joshua was encouraged. And then they began to get ready. We haven't time to read it all, but we'll just tell the story. So Joshua, when the spies returned, he rallied all of the Israelites, thousands and thousands and thousands of them. They reckon about half a million possibly. They were getting ready to cross over the Jordan River. And of course, we know, probably know the story of how God told them to go with the priests and carry the ark, which was the presence of God. And as soon as they would put their foot into the, into the river, that God would open up, cut it off, and that the river Jordan would become a path for them to go through, just the way they had gone through the Red Sea. And so they cross over the Jordan River. I'd love, I mean, there's a whole sermon on that on its own. We haven't time to look at that, but they crossed over. And then when they got to the other side, they went to a place called Gilgal. And this is where, um, and you imagine the excitement as God rolled back the, the river and they crossed over and, and filed crossing over this dry river into the land, getting nearer and nearer to Jericho. And can you imagine the praises and shouts? It says that Joshua was raised up. Everybody recognized him as being God's man. Everybody's praising God. And then they come to a place called Gilgal, which means rolled away. And God says, now you've been walking around in the wilderness for, um, for these 40 years. And it's a new generation. We're about to, about to take you in and, and claim the promises. And uh, God's saying, I want you to circumcise everybody. So they were all, God told Joshua to get flint knives. Oh dear, my mind reels when I think of flint <laughs> So somebody said to me one time, it was like they were going in like this, praising the Lord, and the next minute they're going, ah! And at this 
place called Gilgal, they had to rest then until they were healed. And they were actually they were actually very vulnerable at that time because if the Jericho people in Jericho had realised they were very vulnerable, they could have come in at that time. So they were willing to make themselves vulnerable for God to obey Him. That's the lesson. And so for three days they waited until they were healed up. And the the, the name of the place was called Gilgal because it says that the Lord rolled away their reproach. Isn't that amazing. God wants to roll away. See, when they cut off the flesh, when you cut off the flesh. The circumcision speaks of cutting off flesh. It speaks of the old life, the old nature, the old flesh. When you allow God to cut it off, and that can be painful sometimes, but when you allow God to do that, he rolls away all the reproach. And he wants you to be free of the past, free of shame, free of everything. And he wants you to go in, not depending on your flesh, but depending on the Holy Spirit. That's what this is all about. That's what circumcision was speaking of, was speaking about living a spirit-filled life. And so... All of this is happening, and meanwhile, uh, Rahab and her family, they're alerted to the fact that very soon they're all going to have to get inside Rahab's house. As soon as they hear the Israelites coming, they're going to have to get in there, because that's the only place they'll be safe. And so Joshua, and again I'm flying through this, but in chapter, uh, chapter 5, uh, Joshua has an encounter with God, and we haven't time to go into that. The Lord meets with him and tells him to go into Jericho, tells him what to do. And in chapter 6 of the story, it says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut, because the people were afraid of the Israelites, and so no one was allowed in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your, fright and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Uh, seven priests, etc., etc., and then on the seventh day you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then said the Lord, the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So can you imagine Rahab in the distance? Now you got to remember there was thousands and thousands of these warriors marching towards Jericho. I can just imagine the tramp as she would have heard these men marching in line and Rahab would have been gathering up her family, get quickly into the house and as they're closing the door and making sure everybody's in and accounted for and making just, I'm sure, the check to make sure the rope, the line was hanging, was hanging down. I should hang that down too. I'm going to hang it down there. I'm sure they were making sure, we double check to make sure that the line was hanging down there and uh, and they're waiting inside, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then, as the as the armies tramp, they they march right round the city. And I'm sure Rahab was thinking, right, they're going to do it now. God's going to, we're going to be rescued now. And they march right round the city, and then they go back again. And the next day, at the same time, they're all they're marching again. They're coming to Jericho. They march round the city. The next day, every day. For, for six days they walked around and on the seventh day God had told them not just to walk around once but to walk around seven times. Now I, I love this because don't you just love the way, um, the way that God um, works? Don't you just love the way he puts things in place? Because uh, I had been obviously preparing this and thinking an awful lot about this and uh, I spoke on the phone to Glenda the other night and she was saying that God had spoken to her over the last wee while about moving forward and how uh, she, you know, God had shown her about the importance that the Israelites were obedient and that they actually walked around these walls and did it exactly 
the way that God told them to and how you know she had actually done it for seven I hope I'm telling the story right Glenda for seven days you had actually practiced this in prayer that's for a certain thing that needed to fall a certain thing that needed to come down and if you feel that you're trapped and you've got a wall around you that's trapping you in I can tell you that God wants to take that wall down Rahab was a woman who was living in this in the in the city wall. I actually wonder when she lived in the in the wall of that city, was she exposed to men outside and inside the city? She was on the wall, in the wall. And and those walls were inhibiting her, those walls were closing her in. And if you feel you're in a place where the enemy has locked you in and there's fear in your life and you feel that you're trapped and you can't do the things that you feel God's wanting you to do, then there's a wall that the enemy's put around you. And you know what? It needs to come down. And God can bring it down. And, and, and Glenda was sharing with me how God had spoken to her and for, 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 she'd been reminded that the first seven days they walked around and then they walked, the, the first six days it was once and then on the seventh day it was seven. Seven and six is 13. So 13 times altogether. And, and you were recording in your journal and praying or whatever and God really moved didn't he Glenda in that particular situation and I believe there's something about that that if you would leave here with resolve if you would leave here and said you know what Lord I'm going to in fact it could happen over the weekend you don't even have to leave you probably shouldn't leave here without it happening God wants to bring those walls down he wants to do a miracle in your life and so these men are walking and they're walking uh, round and round the city. I had written down here about the about Israel that Israel, just as, as Glenda talked about wanting to go forward, that Israel was moving forward. And when they got, they were moving forward by faith. And when they got to the Jordan, which was an obstacle, God took them supernaturally took them over the Jordan. And when they got to Gilgal, they were obedient to get the circumcision to cut off the old stuff. And then they were uh, obedient to wait until they were healed. And then Joshua had this encounter with God to move them forward towards Jericho. I believe that those things, that God wants to do those things in your life. He wants to move you forward. He doesn't want you to stay where you are. Because the thing about it is when God puts a good boundary or border around you, he only means it to stay in place until he sees that the time is ready for him to expand that border. That's what I love about God. You're never hemmed in, girls. He's always looking, that's my beautiful daughter, and that's, I want to expand our borders. I want her to experience increase. And in fact, I love Isaiah 60, uh, 54. Here's what it says. Sing, O barren, you who have not borne. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the, of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spur, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants shall inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. And then it goes on to say, for your maker is your husband. Isn't that amazing? That God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. That he would save you and that he would protect you, be your protector, your strong tower, whatever word you want. He, he would encircle you with his loving kindness, put a hedge of his love around you. And do you know what? 
Nothing can get at you unless God... If you're thinking, oh, an awful lot of bad things have happened to me, do you know something? God can work those bad things together for good. Because God sees and he works ahead of the enemy. And, and I just feel it's so important that we know that there are good boundaries and, and bad boundaries. And if you're feeling that you're in a place where you're stuck and you can't get out, God wants to bring those walls down and he wants to put his godly heads of protection around you and he'll expand it when the time comes. Rahab had no idea how much God was going to bless her. She really hadn't. She, she had no idea of the plans that God had in place for her. And God was about to bring down these walls. And so I just see, and I, I know I've got a vivid imagination, I can imagine these boys walking around. And on the seventh day, on the, on the seventh day that they're walking, Rahab saying, well, maybe it'll be today. Every day, it's, maybe it'll be today. And then seventh day. And then instead of walking around once, they walk again and again. Can't you just imagine it? And the tramp, I would say those walls were shaken with the tramp of all of those thousands and thousands of men and everybody inside Jericho trembling with fear. And, and, and she's inside and she's got, the, she's got this cord dangling down. And I'm sure there was thoughts of, I wonder will those men keep their promise? I'm sure there was some little doubts. But you know what? It's not about whether what we feel in one sense. You know, she'd put her, she'd put her faith in this. And I love the fact that Rahab was a woman of faith. How do I know that? Because Hebrews 11 says that faith without works is dead. Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them another way? James says, James 2.25 says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. Imagine this woman's in Hebrews 11, the, the chapter of faith of all these heroes of faith and so we can see that that uh, am I, time going on uh, we can see that, that that these men are walking round and round and round for seven times and then uh, whenever the trumpet gives a long blast on the trumpet god does something spectacular and supernatural the walls just drop they just come down now i love this because it seems again these um uh, archaeology would tell us that there's evidence that the walls sunk into the ground, that they just didn't fall down with a whole lot of rubble, but they actually dropped straight down into the ground. And there's some of the German, I think it is, uh, uh, archaeologists have um, found a, a piece of the wall that's still standing about eight foot high. And is that me wonder? I mean, clearly, I wonder was that where Rahab was on that particular <laughs> part of the wall? It's not the truth. Is it amazing? Um, and it says also, there's, there's also evidence, the Italian-Palestinian excavation in 1997 uh, found the uh, evidence that the city had been actually burned, just as it tells us in the scripture. And so can you imagine the middle of all of this mayhem when these Israelites are running in and, and, and everybody's in terror and they're just going in to take the city. Can you imagine Rahab and you see one of these spies coming? I wonder was his name Salmon? Because she married Salmon later. I think he was one of the spies. That's my notion anyway. <laughs> Can you imagine him walking up? I mean, let's get the hero out here, girl. Can you imagine him walking up and he's at her door and he's banging her. Come on, Rahab. And he's coming to claim her. That's what it reminds me of. Salmon means peace. Your prince of peace is going to claim you one day. 
And he's coming up to the door and he's saying, come on, we've kept our promise. Is everybody here? And they're bringing them all out safety and taking them outside the city where they're safe. What a picture of our salvation. All because she had the cord in faith, tight in faith, believing that they would keep their word. I'll tell you, God's a God who keeps his word. And you need to know that he is your rescuer and he's your prince of peace. I read somewhere that there's a paradox about uh, about rescuing. The paradox is this. If we never needed rescuing, we would never know the rescuer. God wants you to know he's a rescuer. He wants to rescue you out of your place of limitation, out of your place of, of in, being inhibited and being kept in and, and stuck in a situation. He wants those walls to drop and he wants you to be free. And so they, they kept their covenant and, uh, and God keeps his covenant. And as she, um, as she uh, was taken with her family outside the city, we're not sure exactly the time scale or what happened, but if Salmon was one of the spies, she ended up marrying this man called Salmon, an Israelite, an honorable man. And he marries this prostitute because she put her faith in the Lord God of heaven. What a romantic story. Isn't God a romantic? <laughs> what a romantic story. And you know what? They had a child. Uh, we're not sure. They had a child eventually. I'm not sure if it was their child. Probably a few in between. But eventually a man called Boaz came from their relationship, from their marriage. And we're going to see where that ties in. And so we're, we're going to add to this in a moment. We're going to put the scarlet thread down a bit further. And we're going to see that God kept his promise to Rahab and he'll keep his promise to you. And if you haven't already got a bit of red cord, why not just put it on to remind yourself? Remind yourself of your old nature, but more important, remind yourself that you're redeemed, that you're bought with a price, that you belong to God, you're not your own, and that he has a plan for you. And remind yourself that you can put this around your wrist because you know what? God keeps his promises just the way he kept his promise to Rahab. And God had a destiny for Rahab. He had a specific destiny for her to give birth to these children's child, Boaz. And that Boaz was going to be in the line of Christ. We're going to see that from these different women, that this line goes right down to the child that was born in, in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ, who came to fulfill all the Old Testament prophets and to be our Redeemer and our Rescuer. And so, Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are a rescuer. And I thank you, Lord, that you want to take us out of the place of restriction, out of the place where we can't see the future, where we have no vision. Lord, your word says that where there's no vision, the people perish. Help us, Lord, not to have, not to be as those who have no hope, but to know that you're the God of change, that you're the God who can make a way where there seems to be no way. And Lord, that you're a God who does it in the most unlikely circumstances. And Father, I just pray for the rest of this morning. After we just thank you for this food we're going to have, Lord. And I pray that after this, as we, as we speak about Ruth, Lord, I pray that you will come and that you will minister to us again. And Lord, that throughout this day, that you will just do a deep work on us, Lord. And uh, Lord, will you just, you know, every, you know every woman's heart. Will you just penetrate the deep places and do what you need to do. Lord, we just open ourselves up to you and we thank you. 
Thank you for Rahab. Thank you, Lord, for the love that you had for her mm -hmm. and for the love that you have for us. Mm -hmm. We thank you. We're going to sing a song uh, before we finish. Uh, we're going to sing a, a song that I feel so relevant for this. And it's in your hymn, uh, hymn sheets. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Um, what number is it? Number six in your songbooks. Um, I believe that, Re that Rahab could sing this song because she experienced being released. And uh, let's just stand and sing. Mm -hmm. 